0: And welcome to the DoofCast, the official variety podcast of doofmedia.com. My name is Scott Daly, and I am your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my charmingly befuddled co-host, it's Matt Freeman. Oh, I'm terribly sorry.
1: Please don't get Oh, (laughs) uh, Forgive
0: me. (laughs) And this week, we are joined by a very special guest. It's doof partner and one half of the dynamic pale in comparison duo. Malia Hamilton, welcome to the show. So glad to have you.
2: Yay. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. Um, we're trying to get as many of our, our doof partners on the show as possible. Um, and since both of you guys are new, we thought it'd be a great opportunity to have you on the show. And we're actually going to talk about a movie that you brought to us, a movie that you said you wanted us to watch and discuss. So, uh, Malia, what are we, what are we doing? Here? What do what we talk about?
2: <laughs> we're watching Sense and Sensibility. It's my favorite, I don't know how to describe this, like kind of direct adaptation of a Jane Austen novel. But it's not necessarily my favorite adaptation of a Jane Austen
0: novel. Okay. Oh, interesting. I, we're gonna have I see. to see. We're gonna have to get into that.
2: Yeah. It's um a lovely movie. It's kind of old, but just it's uh it's a story about two sisters and, you know, marriage and economics and all the lovely Jane Austen staples so
0: indeed indeed so uh yeah our main segment of the evening is going to be a full spoilers discussion and review of sense and sensibility and then uh we're going to move on to something else that I think is near and dear to Malia's heart we're going to be talking about the trailer for the wheel of time television show that dropped last week um I'm going to have to have you you both kind of explain this thing to me because I'm (laughs) I'm on the
1: outside on this one It'll take a while, Scott, but we can do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then we're going to wrap up the episode with Matt talking about the latest movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For once, for once, Matt's seen a movie that I haven't. So he's (laughs) going to lead the discussion about Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Did I get that full name right, Matt? I haven't seen it. Yeah, more or less. (laughs) All right. So that's the show. Let's get right into it and talk about sense and sensibility. This
3: year. Only one motion picture will bring you all the surprises that life and love can offer. Yeah, it's full of spices. (laughs) Marianne and Eleanor, as different as two sisters can be. Do you love him? I do not attempt to deny that I think very highly of him, that I... Greatly esteem him. Esteem him? Like him? Eleanor's not like you, media. dear. She does not like to be swayed by her emotions. Columbia Pictures invites you. The more I know of the world, the more I am convinced that I shall never see a man whom I can truly love. To find romance. Marianne, you must change. You will catch a cold. What care I for colds when there is such a man? You will care very much when your nose swells up. You are right. Help me, Eleanor.
1: Matt, what is this movie all about? Rich Mr. Dashwood dies, leaving his second wife and her three daughters poor by the rules of inheritance. The two eldest daughters are the opposites. <laughs> In Thank case you. you didn't catch that.
0: Thank you, IMDB, for you have, your flawless movie summaries.
1: Whoever wrote this was just like, I'm so clever.
0: Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if you folks caught that, who the sense and the sensibilities were. Um, this is a movie that was written by Emma Thompson as, uh, as Malia said, based on an adaptation of Jane Austen's novel of the same name. It was directed by Ang Lee and stars Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, Hugh Grant, and Mr. Alan Rickman. Um, all right, Malia, let's let's jump right into it with you. You obviously said this is one of your favorite movies of all. Please, please, uh, please examine that statement you led the episode with.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, so, as some of you out there might know, Jane Austen is my favorite author I've just kind of accepted it um my favorite story of hers is probably Pride and Prejudice it's the first one I read and it's just so good Mm -hmm. um so Sense and Sensibility actually doesn't make like the top three of my favorite stories of hers um but there are so many different like film adaptations of Jane Austen stories and this is in my opinion the best one um the Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice the 2005 version is like good but too like sappy-ish I don't know something about it the soundtrack and the cinematography are incredible and everyone is very beautiful um and then like I like the um 1995 I think um BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice but like you might as well just read the book it's incredibly comprehensive whereas this (laughs) is a nice balance of like they're adapting things they're making things more interesting um I think it might also help that I actually saw this movie before I read the book. the so i think my favorite jane austen adaptation is clueless um <laughs> clueless is an adaptation of emma which is probably my least favorite austen novel because emma is like really awful but like share and clueless is like really just trying to like do her best and be a good person um and like makes a bunch of silly mistakes and i love her and that movie and it's a classic um The Lizzie Bennet Diaries is also a really amazing Austin adaptation, kind of in the middle between, like, a straightforward adaptation like this movie and, like, Clueless, because it's like, what if Lizzie Bennet, the protagonist of Pride and Prejudice, lived in, you know, modern times and had a vlog? Um, So everyone (laughs) is still very much, like, the characters from the book, but updated, so...
0: I'm I'm curious out of all these things you just listed none of them were <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and I'm I'm wondering what Okay.
2: Your- <laughs> 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 My problem with Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was I picked it up cuz I you know love Jane Austen and I was reading through it and the parts that weren't written by Jane Austen just stuck out to me too much. Um and I realized as I was reading it, like, I don't want to read this. I just want to read Pride and Prejudice again. Like, uh-huh. I don't care about the like. And then we picked up the axe and went out and like smashed the zombies. Like, it just didn't quite. F- the prose didn't flow together as well as it could have.
0: Yeah, I don't actually know what it is. Other Is it literally just Pride and Prejudice, except they like edited in some lines where they hunt zombies? I, yep. I, d- I don't understand oh. yep. the conceit. <laughs> Uh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it seems like one of those gimmick cash in things of, of which yeah. there have been several, like the uh Shakespearean Star Wars. Um yeah. which oh, you know yeah. I, I, I own that. It was bought for me as a gift. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's this, this cute. <laughs> okay, I get it. Yep.
0: So Matt, I'm I'm curious what your Jane Austen experience is coming into this movie.
1: Um well I saw Clueless when it came out in hey. the okay. 80s. And yeah, that's it. Oh, oh all right, <laughs> all right. I, I mean, I'm I'm not too much better
0: than you. I did I, the only Jane Austen novel I've read is Pride and Prejudice, and I only read it a, a few years ago, um, and I loved it. I, like I've I've meant to go back and read the rest of Jane Austen. I just haven't had the time yet. But I really enjoyed the hell out of that novel. I, I think I think you know you you kind of go oh it's the I think it that's 19th century right Jane when Jane Austen wrote. I think like the books, Mm -hmm. the books take place in the 17th century or the 18th century a lot, but I think she was writing in the 19th. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I I think like you, you hear like 19th century novel and you think it's going to be stuffy and hard to read, but like Jane Austen is so readable. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's so funny and it's like, it's so witty. It's like British dry witty humor, but like, more clever than anything else you ever read. I don't know. I just I really fell in love with the way she wrote, um. And I I had never seen this movie. Um, Matt, had you seen this? No, movie? I'd
1: never seen this movie. And um, I mean, I was. It was funny to me how quickly I was like sold, um, <laughs> because the the al- almost the first scene is this delightful. I mean, you were just talking about how funny it is. Like the first thing that happens is the father dies, and he tells his son like you got to take care of the daughters and then and then he's like i'm going to i'm going to give them like this this really generous allowance you know forever and then and then his his wife just you know (laughs) passive aggressively needles him into like did did he really did he actually say to give them money or was it just (laughs) you know take care of them you you know you like you know and it just like in little increments of just like convincing himself that he didn't even have to do anything for them at all. And it was hilarious. It
0: goes from incredibly generous to nothing to by the <laughs> end of the conversation, he's saying, well, they are getting 500 pounds a year, which like is exactly what his father said was not enough money for them. Uh-huh. It's it's great. I mean, I I... I his wife is such a wonderful character. I think I can't remember the line exactly, but she says something the effect of like everyone lives forever when an annuity is involved, yeah, <laughs> something like that. It's so funny. It's so funny, and and I think that's that is something that this script and this movie captured in my mind, having read one one Jane Austen novel. But the the wittiness of it, I think. I think these movies need to have fun, and and I've seen the the Pride and Prejudice version that you're talking about Malia and I agree it's it's too it's too much and it's not having enough fun mm-hmm. with the story and I think this movie has a lot of fun with the the ins and outs of this whole story because it's like we're we're kind of laughing with and at these people at the same time um continuously and and I I don't know I I really I really had a fun time with this movie a lot
2: yeah I was really nervous that y'all would hate
1: it no, no, no. I, I thought it was very fun. I mean, the only the, the the thing about it is like because it was so funny, every time they tried to become serious, I I was sort mm. of like, this is silly. <laughs> 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 but but that that said though, I was like totally invested in what was going on in the story, and I, yeah. I and I was like, who were they going to end up with? <laughs> I, I I wanted Emma Thompson to end up with uh, Alan Rickman. I thought that that was going to happen. See, Wait, I see. What? <laughs> That's the benefit of not knowing what the story is. is I had no idea who was going to end up with who. Sure, sure.
0: Can I tell you the the most hilarious thing in the world? So I didn't watch this movie all in one sitting because Mm. anyone who anyone who's had an infant knows that watching (laughs) a two hour, 15 minute movie in one sitting is basically impossible. So we watched like the first hour and 45 minutes of it. And then we had to turn it off and I had to pick it up earlier today. And in between that time, this movie has been out for 26 years. And in between that time, I happened to be listening to a podcast about something entirely unrelated to Sense and Sensibility. And they started talking about... Um, who did they start talking about? Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> and and a, a, as some of you might know, Kenneth Branagh and, uh, and Emma Thompson were married for a while. And I think they split up Exactly the same year this came out, and then they mm. so suddenly it, it pivots from Kenneth Branagh to Emma Thompson to Sense and Sensibility, and then suddenly they're spoiling the ending for me, and it's just like, how did that? Ha- like, Damn what it. are the odds of that happening in in the eleven hour window between the beginning, me watching the beginning of this movie and the end of this movie? How did that happen? I, it, it's the wildest thing. But they were like, and yeah, and then Kate Winslet ends up with uh with um, Alan Rickman, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Um, Uh, but it's just just wild that that happened because like I mean it it literally had to have slotted itself in that perfect window that no one else would have had because no one would have like stopped at the exact point I would but wild Um, I I think that's that is part of the the fun Matt though is kind of figuring out who's going to end up with who and how this is all going to work and Mm -hmm. um, I I will say that the uh, Malia you've read the book so how, how old are these people supposed to be because the biggest trouble I had with this movie was like I, I knew how old all these actors were, and I was like, okay, but who are they what age are they playing?
2: Do you know? Yeah, they're they're supposed to be a lot younger. I think Marianne is like sixteen.
0: Okay. Um, okay.
2: So like um Elizabeth Bennett is twenty one, the protagonist of Pride and Prejudice, and she's like getting close to like old maze status. Yeah. Um so I'm pretty sure it's like doo-doo mm. I'm actually just gonna Google it really fast. But I think it's 16 and 19 or something
0: because I know Emma Thompson at the time of filming is my age right now. She was she was 35 going on 36 at the time of filming. Um which if she's playing a 35-year-old in the movie that's like ancient and for to be to be not married at that at that time is like ancient. And I know Kate Winslet is 20, but I also read weirdly enough that Kate Winslet actually originally auditioned for the Lucy role and then when she got there just lied and said she was there for Marianne and like her her agent put her up for the Lucy role but she got there and just said no I'm here to read for Marianne and no one checked and that auditioned her and then they loved her but that's like but that's so weird to me because I know Lucy is like she's very young in this movie. Like she looks like she's, she's supposed to be like an, a nine or 10 year old. So Kate wins that with 20 at the time of, maybe they were just going to age up that character and they decided not to, I don't know. It just, that's a, I, it was a fact I didn't quite. Do you mean Lucy or
2: do you mean Margaret?
0: Um, I don't, I don't know. Like their younger sister or the, Oh yeah, no, I think I was confused. You're right. I think she was out for the Lucy, the Lucy steel role. I just confused okay. who the characters were. Yeah. That may, okay. That makes a lot more sense in my head. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yes i Lucy lucy who was playing the secret um fiance <laughs> of hugh grants mm-hmm, edward mm-hmm. got it got it names they're tough they're got tough
2: it. yeah so in the book eleanor is 19 and marianne is 16 um so that okay. is one thing where it makes a lot more sense imagining marianne is a 16 year old um yeah. like it helps with
0: uh,
1: her behavior yes. yeah yeah
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, as the as the summary said, these are the, the sense and sensibility of the book is these two characters. Um, and of course, Alan Rickman is 50 years old when he was filming this movie. And so him, <laughs> like, I mean, I understand that was a lot no- more normal back then for a very older gentleman to be with someone very young, but I did like the Alan Rickman Kate Winslet pair up. I was just like, man, this is weird. This is weird. I couldn't <laughs> well, get over it. Well, that's
1: why I thought he was going to end up with Emma Thompson, but apparently I, I was off base because I was thinking about that too much.
0: Yeah, he did. Um, it just took eight years and a uh, entirely different movie in um Love Actually. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and then he didn't even appreciate her.
0: Yeah, what a jerk. Not at all.
1: Um, I I I really enjoyed. I really it, this is. It's very fun, it's very fun, it's like yeah. it's like Harry Potter for grown ups because much <laughs> please, like children- please explain much this. like children like to imagine that they are going to a wizard school grown ups like to imagine that they live a life where there's nothing to do except ride horses and mm-hmm. and and hunt with rifles and and then just like get involved in romantic misunderstandings, and that's your whole life, yeah, um, that's it's very like, like that's what makes it fun is you're just like, um, it's a, it's a, it's pure fantasy, right? It's pure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get it.
0: Yeah. I get what you're saying. It's, it's all interesting here that there's like a background of class examination in this movie, but not like, not, not they There definitely go from a, a, a place of privilege to a place of I'm not even going to call it poverty because they get lucky but they're supposed to be like their, their class is supposed to have shifted downwards pretty significantly but that's always almost like plot setting and not like part of the conflict it's like part of the conflict is not them overcoming poverty or anything it's just kind of a backdrop for how they get into the situation they're in um, which I thought was interesting
2: right I think Eleanor is talking to Edward um, at the beginning of the movie when they're like preparing to move out of norland um and she says like but you can like inherit you will inherit your fortune we will not even earn ours and it's Mm -hmm. like there's this like when you think about like class structures during that time there's kind of like this like barrier where if you're above that barrier and you're a woman like you do not work um yeah and like falling beneath that is like unthinkable almost in a jane austen novel and you'll, you'll see it a lot right like with um um, Colonel Brandon, Alan Rickman's like former love or whatever, Eliza, who like falls and like kind of becomes a prostitute basically. Um, like characters like that exist throughout Austin novels, but the way that they talk about it is though like there is something inherently different between, for instance, Thomas and Betsy, their like maid and butler person, um, and them. And like they, there's like this like weird barrier where like, you know, Emma Thompson, like you could probably go out and like, work and it would suck a lot and you're not going to be rich but like you don't do that because you're not going to you're not going to die like you you have 500 a year between all four of you or whatever like you still have a house that's like bigger than a house I've ever lived in even if the buyer smokes you know like it's just this like fascinating um thing that austin tends to wrestle with um it's like economics and then also marriage um jane Austen never married she was engaged for one night and um (laughs) then like left the guy his name is um harris bigglesworth biggleworth it was a ridiculous name that's Um,
0: hilarious
2: (laughs) and so she there are very few happy marriages that you actually see in austin and jane Austen novels even though you know they're going to end with like an engagement and a marriage or whatever like she she has these like interesting critiques and like visions of both like class and marriage but they're always kind of she's coming at it from a slant where it's like humor or like um sometimes like colonialism like the the war is somewhat involved or like um sure Indian sure. colonialism is somewhat involved in this movie but it's never like i don't know it's just it's fascinating you learn so much um about this time period just watching tons and tons of these movies
0: yeah i bet i I think a good example of that is the the palmer's marriage uh (laughs) Laurie plays mr palmer and um and the chick that plays dolores umbridge to continue matt's harry potter metaphor Uh um plays his wife and like he is like throughout the entire movie he's like always got his nose in the paper and is like dismissive and rude of everything she says but then like near the end of the movie he's like deeply concerned about the family and like wants to make sure they're okay and you Mm kind of realize that it's not like he's a shitty person he just he doesn't really like his wife (laughs) um which i mean i think that's kind of goes exactly into what you're talking about i i think again to kind of stretch matt's (laughs) i'm loving this (laughs) harry potter metaphor though but like the idea that like like it's in in the harry potter universe Characters have money problems, right? But mm. they all still get to go to Hogwarts, right? Like it's like mm. e- even even the the most destitute characters in this story uh, are still are still playing the game, right? They don't get expelled from society; they just live on a slightly yeah. lower rung of it. And and to your point, yeah, when they said when they said cottage, in my head, I'm picturing <laughs> something extremely different from what this house ended up being, which is a, a beautiful house that I would love to live in. Um, but yeah,
1: it, it's it's interesting because Americans don't have an intuitive sense of this. Um, Old timey British class system. I, one thing I read that helped me understand it is, is like the, the upper class never has any danger of not being upper class, it, mm-hmm. but the middle class is completely dominated by status anxiety and class anxiety. Yeah, and wanting to be upper class and being afraid that they're going to fall into lower class. And interesting. And the thing about the thing about all all of our you know main characters is like they probably don't know how to be like a house servant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The skills they have are like how to play piano extremely well and like, you know, uh uh cross stitch, right? Like like <laughs> like 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 these are the these are the middle class striver skills mm-hmm. where they're like, look how look how good I am at the skills that would allow me to sit around and be a good wife. But they, they, they've they never trained in anything that would actually be like a career. And so that's like they're sort of in a trap, right? Where they're like, we either have to get married well or we're just like we can't do anything. Like what else are we going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. The marriage is also really like um, interesting because the way that this like primogeniture or however you say that was in this time like land um in england they were like oh crap all of our estates are gonna break up and like the rich people like will be fucked um if we let like all of the children inherit um so like in this where he's like kind of talking about it as though it's some obscure reason why john is going to get all of the land Um, but I think that was actually fairly common, at least, I mean, in Austin's novels, um, and around the time, from what I understand, the noble class doesn't want their land to be broken up. Um, and so it's going to go to the eldest son, um, who can continue to like pass that land down. So like, yeah, marriage is like the thing, like a lot of people, um, will like criticize Mrs. Bennett for being obsessed with marrying her daughters off in Pride and Prejudice, but like that's economic security, Um, For yourself and possibly for the rest of your family um, because of that. Arbitrary, frustrating. um, Yeah, like it's
1: it's very dramatic. They couldn't have thought Mm -hmm. of a a more dramatic law. (laughs) Yeah, because just imagine if the dad had been like, all right, son, since I know I'm about to die, I'm just going to give half of my land to your sister as a gift. (laughs) And this will have nothing to do with inheritance. It's just a gift. Yeah. Yeah, Did I don't they, think he could Yeah. Right. <laughs> well,
0: I I think that's it's that's just a great point. And I love the way the movie, like it, it, when we see uh, this character who is Tom Wilkinson, who Matt because just keeps showing up in our podcast recently, like it's been a Tom Wilkinson off. Um, but he w- he he does make it seem like it is this obscure rule. Mm-hmm. Like where it's like, because of complicated things that you wouldn't understand, <laughs> son, you're inheriting everything. But then like when the girls talk about it later. All they say is, We're women, so we can't get anything. Which is it's just like I, I love the the viewpoint there where he looks at it as this complicated, obscure thing, and they just understand where their mm-hmm. place in this society is. And so mm-hmm. it's not complicated to them. It's just just the way it is. Um, and yeah, they're they're kind of entirely dependent on the men around them to to advance in any way. It's a life in which, like, let's say, like, you don't really have a career, but even if you do, you have one opportunity at quote-unquote promotion in your career and that's marriage um i, d- mm-hmm. I did like the line where the, like they said oh what what's his profession oh he doesn't have a profession oh he's a gentleman mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything yeah. he's just he's just is rich that's his profession being rich
2: yep because younger sons in certain like levels of the class structure would have to go into the military or into the clergy or something like that because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough money for them to just like, yeah, live off of cause all of the land goes to the eldest son. So that's mm-hmm. like another one of those funny indicators.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. love I mean like talking about, you know, the performances I, uh, we've talked about how much I love Kate Winslet, uh, one of my <laughs> favorite actresses. I think, I, I think this is the first time I've seen her and Emma Thompson. Like, together in a movie I don't know if they've been in other movies but I think I think it's remarkable seeing these two actors play off each other and this is Kate Winslet fairly early in her career um and she's just just killing it and I I think it's really interesting because you see her um having to be the one that is like the much more emotional and then emma thompson is kind of forced to be the one who's very reserved she's the she's the sense and of the sense and sensibility and so she's Mm -hmm. she can't show emotion and so like you you would think in a situation like that kate winslet would just upstage her in every scene because she's like the boisterous loud emotional emotive uh, teenager for lack of a better word but what i love about emma thompson's performance in this is that because she's just such a talented actress she's able to convey everything that she's feeling and she can't do it through words she just has to do it through her face and it can't even be like obvious facial expressions it has to be like reserved like barely barely showing what you're feeling things but she's just able to do it like the look of an eye or the way she smiles or like the Mm. just it's it's so meticulous and and but but you get across everything you need to. I think it's it's really wonderful. Like I love Kate Winslet, but Emma Thompson is like the MVP of this. No no doubt no doubt. She's so good here.
1: Yeah yeah. I mean, I think I think the whole movie is just absolutely top to bottom perfectly performed. Like that's pr- probably the thing I enjoyed the most about it is uh, just watching these people just acting all over the place. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean everybody just just completely nails it i mean i mean i think i've always enjoyed hugh grant and i think this is a fun hugh grant role because i mean he's always charmingly befuddled um (laughs) but there was i don't know i just i just bought him as a fully realized character here beyond just like oh that's hugh grant you know
0: yeah i mean like the the best thing to do with Hugh Grant is to put him in an awkward situation and see how he reacts. And I think the scene where he walks in, ready to like confess his love to Eleanor and uh, and uh, Lucy Steele is there in the background. Like that's it's a uh-huh. perfect scene where he just looks over and sees her and is like oh fuck (laughs) and and like just doesn't know what to do and i i I loved every every minute of that uh, the awkwardness in that scene hugh grant is playing it pitch perfect it's really good
1: i mean just to riff on what you were saying earlier about um emma thompson being just so uh unemotional the whole movie that makes it so much more satisfying when at the end he's like i am i'm not married and then she just. Bursts into hysterical tears of (laughs) relief. Yeah. You're like,
0: yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the it's like, yeah, that's her big moment. And I guess if I had one critique of the film, I felt like that that moment, like uh, maybe it was just Ang Lee's direction, but like it was just maybe it's supposed to just be awkward because it didn't feel like it was this triumphant moment of like, you know, culmination of everything where she's she's finally breaking down and being emotional. It was just like, oh wow, she's really. Wow, that's a lot of cry. That's a lot of hysterical <laughs> crying. I mean, maybe that was definitely the. Now that I, I say it, I think that's definitely what they were going for there.
1: I, yeah, I guess I th- I thought it was like like funny, like mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in a way that was very satisfying of just like, yeah. Um, no, they and like her her
0: mom and her sisters just like leave, <laughs> they yeah. just leave the room.
1: <laughs> yeah, just look at each other, glide <laughs> out of the room.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a fun like growth moment for Marianne, kind of because she you know like after she comes back from London she starts kind of taking on a leadership role within the house like how Eleanor always had to shoulder um and so she's kind of the one who like leads them out of the room yeah um yeah. but she still has some of her like fun and mischievous they're all like trying to look into the house and see what's going on and it's hard to imagine Eleanor doing the same thing um but I think that like one of the fun things about Hugh Grant um and Emma Thompson is just like he's he's Hugh Grant he's like beautiful right mm-hmm. and just like you fall in love with him immediately um especially how they're like oh his sister is so horrible and he did like kind of a decent thing and wow he's the best person like in this whole universe <laughs> um and so in this moment like you know like Colonel Brandon and Willoughby and like other men in this movie would be really put off by Emma Thompson but Hugh Grant is so fucking awkward and he's such a hot mess like in this movie himself that it's just yeah. like of course you don't care that like the love of your life is like hysterically. <laughs> sobbing.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I think it's just it, so cute. And any other, any other man, gentleman in this movie would have like, been weirded out by that, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's just into it. I actually read that the Jane Austen Society wrote to the production of this film when they heard that Hugh Grant was cast and was like, "Hey, wait, no, he's too good looking to play Edward." Like, <laughs> I, 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 don't know what he's supposed to look like in the book, but I, I read that and I thought that was hilarious. Like, it's no, 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 this guy's way too good looking for this. That's, that's um,
1: funny because it seems like now that I've heard that, like, it seems like they dress him just a little bit goofy. Yeah, like, yeah. like in contrast to how Willoughby is dressed, like intentionally young and sexy, <laughs> Hugh Grant has he always has that ridiculously large, like neckerchief, necktie thing going on. <laughs> yeah, um, which it just makes him look less cool basically
0: i agree i mean willoughby's like rocking the the um sideburns yeah. and his his hair always looks wet like he willoughby seems to me like what 90s hot was uh-huh. um mm-hmm. where and, and like i'm not going to say that like Hugh Grant is a good looking dude but they're they are definitely making him look not 90s hot um they're going for something different with that for sure <laughs> yeah right, right.
2: This was um, the first novel that Jane Austen published. It wasn't the first one she wrote, but um, it was the first one that she published. And it's a weird choice for, like, arguably a romance novel um, for the first two men that you meet in it to be, like, quiet and awkward and dumpy and then, like, old. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, like, they are the two, like, loving, like, they are the two. They win. Um, and so I think that was part of why there was like the hesitancy around Hugh Grant's casting, because um you're not supposed like you're supposed to think that Willoughby's amazing. Like you're supposed to be like, Oh wow, Willoughby's so fucking great. And obviously, like, you know, whatever. And I do yeah. think that like I mean, I would love to talk about all the pairings in this movie because I agree that like Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson's chemistry in this movie is amazing. I mean, even Hugh Laurie for that one moment with Emma Thompson is just yes, like yes. so good. Um but, like, watching it this time, I was like, "I think that like Marianne and Willoughby don't help each other grow, but they do fit really well together like I think that like they weren't making each other better people, but they did seem really happy anyway. I feel like that was a tangent,
0: but um, no, i well, I think the the thing that I loved about Willoughby is like. He's such a jerk, right? He's such a <laughs> he's such an asshole. But then like the last moment we get with him is him standing on his horse alone on the hilltop like looking down at the festivities and the mm. love and the friendship and everything that's going on there. And so it, you end on it like in some ways it's a like, ha, you got what you deserved look, but in some ways it's like, ah, oh, bummer, you just weren't brave enough to like seek out the thing you actually wanted mm-hmm. um, versus the thing that it was expected. of Right. You.
1: I think that, I mean, that's the, the, that's where the sort of class critique exists such as it is, is you have all these pairings that don't work for reasons that are like sociological and, and, and financial. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like the reason Willoughby drops her is, is because he's like been disinherited and desperately needs to like find a better match mm-hmm. um, that that he can parasitize off of, mm-hmm. um, and he's not you know like you said brave enough to just be like I mean to do what to do what Hugh Grant does, which is mm-hmm. just be like oh well I guess I'm going to be disinherited because I made this promise. Um, yeah, which, I mean it's like an exact mirror of the circumstances, right?
0: Yeah, I mean I think the the movie is this is this is what i kind of love about this movie because like every plot element of this movie is something that could never happen today. Like, because it's just like, <laughs> it's just like every conflict and every moment of like either like people feeling they have to hide something or of, or deceit or, or no one actually like talking to each other. Like, these are all things that our culture has moved on from generally. But like at the core of it, this idea between like what is the, what is the appropriate reaction to love, right? Sense or sensibility, right? Like what, 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 how should we react to these feelings we have? What should we do? That is something that I think is timeless. And that's the, the, Core of the story is is this idea of, you know, should I be should I be brave? Should I overreact and and dive head first into it, or should I just be as as reserved and and uncaring as possible until a certain moment? And and I think the interesting thing is, I I don't know, am I wrong in saying that the Eleanor and the Marianne ca- characters kind of end up reversing each other? Like I, I feel like marrying Colonel Brandon is Is a a sense yeah is 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 a emma thompson-esque move of marianne like i like it's not like the it's not the willoughby it's the the kind man who obviously loves you and is going to treat you well like i I just don't i don't see that as like a passionate love affair i just see that as Mm -hmm. like a you know, I, this guy really loves me and he cares for me and, and he'd provide for me. And, and I, it's not that I don't love him, but it's just not like this. It's not the the Shakespearean sonnets that I was obsessed with, you know, <laughs> it, it's a different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I find that really interesting. I like, I don't think the conclusion of this, the story is that like sense is better. You know, yeah. I don't think like it's a, it's a, a, like a conflict between those two things, but I do think that choice definitely says something about, uh, what the movie views as, as, as Marianne's flaws.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because I mean, and, and then, and then the other sister ends up with Hugh Grant, which is her, um, you know, her wild love that, that <laughs> yeah. she, she's, she's being all reserved about it, but she feels incredibly strongly ab- and like beyond the point of sense Uh, and Mm -hmm, then of course, mm -hmm. yeah, so it, it, I I agree completely. Like she, maybe they don't reverse, but I think they both come to understand each other and they both kind of recognize like, okay, you, you know, both things are necessary in in this world. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I I just like the way that Alan Rickman's character is portrayed. Like he just, there's so many little things that make him seem like an incredible badass where you're just (laughs) rooting for him the whole time. I mean, I guess part Mm -hmm. of it's just the fact that it's Alan Rickman. But he's always doing things in the background where it's like he's like taking care of people that he has no obligation to, yeah, and and just like being just a, a total mensch the whole time. And it's just you're you're just like this this guy's great. One of you should marry him. He's <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Well, I mean his um his kindness to Edward is like is out of no no obligation or duty or, or anything like it's not even like, ah, yes, this is what we'll finally win. Kate Winslet over is <laughs> if I'm kind to her, the, the man that her older sister likes. No, it's just like it was the right thing to do. And that's the kind of person he is. And I think the casting of Alan Rickman is so brilliant in this because this is a movie where basically almost all the men are just total assholes. Um, and Alan Rickman at least at this point in his career, had basically played nothing but villains. <laughs> and he's like the only one in this movie that is not a villain. Uh-huh. Um, and so like it's kind of it's kind of a very clever dodge in a lot of ways. Like you kind of think if, if you're a, if you're a person in 1995 going into this movie, knowing who Alan Rickman is, you're probably thinking he's going to be one of the asshole characters and he's not.
1: That's fun. Yeah, you're, you're totally right.
0: Um, what else? What else do you want to say about this movie? Um, I, I we haven't talked about Ang Lee very much, but I really enjoyed his direction. I think the way he, this is a beautiful movie. It's a be- mm-hmm. like just just the way it it drinks in the exterior scenes. It, it looks so like incredible. Like I, it's it's always fun when movies can make england look like this beautiful sunny wonderful place <laughs> when in reality it's, yeah. it's just it's just not that at all um or or it is but maybe only like three days a year um but i i was really into just the look of like these people riding around on horseback and these beautiful settings and like the hills and the the castles and the distance it's just all yeah. it's it's great
2: right
1: yeah I, I like the uh i think my favorite this specific it's, it's fun to talk about specific shots or specific moments and scenes. And I really like the moment where, uh, uh, Kate Winslet runs into Willoughby at the, at the dance. And she's like, so happy to see him. And he just has an absolute, you know, uh, cold sweat, terror look on his face. Yeah. And then he like flees and then she follows him. And so like everything about the scene is, is done. So, so first of all, it's just like this beautiful, uh, extremely elaborate dance set piece uh, with everyone's in these beautiful dresses and, and suits and you got like it's everything's basically like it looks like it's candlelit it's probably not really candlelit obviously but it, you know it, it's convincing mm-hmm. um, it's just really really gorgeous looking but then there's this this incredible like tension in the scene because you know something's terribly wrong and then you know he, he she follows him into the other room and just the dynamics of like her standing there Staring while he's like pretending to ignore her, and the and the other people in his party are like gradually glancing over her like I don't know just something about that whole scene. I just thought was like perfectly executed and and tense and just conveying this this rejection and sadness of of our like that was one of the most like heartbreaking moments of the of the movie to me
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i i I like that a lot, you're right, I think. I, you know, it's it's great because there's a this choreographed dance that's happening within the scene, but then as the scene plays out itself, it's almost a dance in and of itself of mm-hmm. of characters just flitting in and out and chasing and following and and all this fun stuff. I yeah. like
1: that. It's a metaphor. Yeah,
0: it's a metaphor.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed on this watch that I hadn't noticed before, um, since um, listening to y'all talk about movies and shots and whatever more I realized um, the, the there's like a parallel between the first time um, Colonel Brandon sees Marianne playing the piano and just like the music in this movie. I like her voice and the piano. And I just, I love that so much, but he comes in and he's like leaning against the door and like looking at her. And I think it's like, it's a really similar shot to after she doesn't die from like the fever or whatever. And, you know, he's brought her mother there. Um, and he's like exiting out of that doorway and he's like in the doorframe when she says like, Oh, thank you, Colonel. Like she, for the first time in the whole fucking movie, like acknowledges his existence basically. Um, and he's standing like in the same kind of way in the same doorframe. And it's like the first time he saw her. And then like the first time she saw him or like both him in this doorway. And I was just like, like, uh. Uh
1: That's 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 great.
0: That's great. I like that. Uh, I didn't pick up on that, but I think you're spot on there. I mean, I the thing I noticed was that both Willoughby and uh, Brandon um, carry Kate Winslet home from a rainstorm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, They both they both deliver her at a house home from a rainstorm. Actually, I just I love the idea of like. You were out in the rain. Guess (laughs) you might die now. Um, Uh, It's just like it's so it's so quaintly like 1700s get like, a fever yeah guess you're gonna die we better uh we better blood let you because yeah. that'll help
1: my, of course my my thought was like wait a minute alan rickman got just as wet and cold as she did except then he had to carry a grown woman all the way home <laughs> and he's not sick
0: no but he's he's a man so uh, that's okay
2: his constitution is
1: hardier i mean he is a badass so i guess i'll buy it <laughs>
0: I think in all reality, though, I think she was out in the rain, you know, considerably longer longer than he
1: was because she's just like sitting out there. And she's also
2: like not been eating and like probably not been sleeping. And
1: she probably hasn't been taking her multivitamins. Yeah.
0: No. Yeah. Just, just whispering sonnets to herself as she yeah. gazes upon yeah. Willoughby's house longingly,
1: <laughs> playing piano and just weeping. <laughs> on, on
0: I think I, I'm so glad you told me she was 16 because it like all makes sense now. That like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It helps
1: a lot. Oh, well, that, I mean, so okay. Then another part that I love is that she's constantly like directly referencing Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, the story about the lovers who were really, really young and killed themselves. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love,
0: I just love that. I love how Romeo and Juliet has become like colloquially the most romantic love story of all time in culture. And I'm just like, y'all, did you read the play? Cause it doesn't work out. It's
3: bad.
1: Uh, yeah. Right. I hope well, our,
0: I hope our love story is as great as Romeo and Juliet. Yeah.
1: Well, see, I almost feel like Jane Austen and, or the screenplay writers are, Are aware of that because they have like she's the one who's obsessed with Romeo and Juliet and it's like it's destroying her. It's a it's a bad idea. It's it's a bad it's a bad template to base your idea of how a romantic relationship should work. Yeah, Um, Yeah. and and she learns and grows and no longer does that anymore by the end.
0: Yeah, I mean clearly the lesson of the story is never trust a man who carries a book of sonnets around with him. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, speaking of writing, though, Matt. I mean, this was written by Emma Thompson. Um, yeah. This was her first screenplay, and she won an Academy Award for it. That's she won amazing. the Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for this movie, wow. uh, which is wild. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I think. I mean, not not that it's not well deserved. It's just you know, to I, I from what I understand she spent like four and a half years writing this movie. It went over like 18 or 19 revisions and the studio, the studio was very cautious about spending the money on this from a first time screenwriter. They just did like, even if it's Emma Thompson, someone that, that even in 95 was pretty, pretty famous and well-known. They still were not, they were not sure, but uh, they, they finally gave, her the money and, and let it happen and lots of oscars um actually it only won the one but it would every one was nominated for this emma thompson was nominated for actress um it was nominated for best picture it was nominated kate winsett was nominated cinematography costume design music it was nominated for everything uh it only won um best writing though hmm. well i cool
2: wanted to say something about the adaptation i also want to briefly mention margaret as a shout out before we close but um that first or that second scene where fanny is convincing john to not give um the dashwoods anything that's not in the novel Um, interesting so that is like stands out to me as like both one of the best scenes and one of the like like i mean the fact that they didn't end up giving you know the girls anything um Is in the novel, but that's that scene, that dialogue between the two of them, at least from what I remember, it has been a long time since I read it, but I'm pretty sure that that's not actually in the novel and it's one of the best. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, it feels like what I think of as like contemporary British humor where it's, it's just like. Dry and and absurdist, um, so that that actually makes sense. But no, mm-hmm. I, I agree that is great.
0: It does such a good job of establishing who Fanny is as a character too. Where you <laughs> like, I think in that one scene you completely understand her, and so you know exactly what how she's going to react to everything throughout the the rest of the movie. Oh, the the scene where Lucy Steele like decides to confide in Fanny about the engagement. You're just like, you're just like, no, no. This is the worst possible person to trust. You idiot.
3: It's
2: just like the peacock feathers and like slowly leaning in and like both of them look all excited and you know, like ooh, juicy gossip. And then she just like beats
0: the shit out of her. It's so fucking good. She like she like throws her against the wall and then opens the (laughs) door and like kicks her out. It's so good. It's so good.
1: I felt un, unsatisfied. I, I want to know what happened to... Did she... Did did her... Did the other brother also get disinherited?
0: That's a good question. I, I, I don't... I probably not because at this point where you've already irreversibly inherited the one brother, you, there's only one left. And so, like, you can't... Like, where's the money going to go if you... Like, it can't go to the woman. We've established but, this. So...
1: But, but, so... so. Did they irreversibly disinherit Hugh Grant? Because they did.
0: They, I mean, they. It seemed like the script took time to say irreversibly every time they talked about it. To where, like, I don't understand why that would actually be irreversible, but within the world
1: of the movie, yes. Because I wasn't. I mean, you're probably right, but I wasn't sure of that. Walking, walking out. I wasn't like, okay, so wait a second.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because he didn't actually go through with it. So
1: and then they got and and then he marries Emma Thompson, which was is probably also a you know unacceptable match. But like, yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, is there an answer? Do, do we have an answer? Is yeah, Malia,
0: there? do you know from the book it, like how this all actually shakes out?
2: Um, I'm trying to remember. I do. I don't. Because I think the thing is, you can't disinherit everyone. I guess it could have gone to some far off cousin. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, I actually pulled the novel up and I'm skimming through it, and there is, <laughs> that that conversation is um, basically in it that I mentioned. So Emma Thompson isn't as brilliant as I thought, oh, but oh,
1: okay. okay.
2: Um,
1: she definitely made it very uh, punchy. Um, yes. So,
0: I, I did like wh- how that actually shakes out. Aside, I thought the the was Thomas the name of his brother Thomas Ferris. I think it um, was right. Robert. Robert. Thomas okay. is
2: the hand servant.
0: Yeah. There we go. Um I thought he was hilarious and that was such <laughs> a like I don't want to make fun of someone who's real life but like the way they shoot him like it, it's it's the it's like trying to accentuate how he has very large teeth um and they're like trying to accentuate that and and his like he doesn't seem smooth at all and so like the twist that Lucy has gone with that guy I felt worked on me really well because I was just like, really, that guy over Hugh? You picked him over, over Hugh Grant? Really, that guy? Okay, sure. <laughs>
2: they they do match better. They're both a little silly and they like gossip. Yeah, um, yeah. Like their personalities I mean, do match better.
0: right I'm gonna go ahead and say I I'd, I would have picked Hugh Grant if it were if it were yeah. up to me. I, I yeah, think fair. I think we're meant
1: to see that Hugh Grant is is deeper and 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 she's shallow and thus they don't
0: you know yeah i mean and i mean like it also could partially be like this idea that like hugh grant has just hurt you 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 can see he's in love with someone else he's very clearly in love with someone else um and so why would you want to force a man into a marriage (laughs) with you that he's clearly not happy with right um
1: it's it's interesting the the whole idea of like a secret engagement is is fascinating. <laughs> like isn't that a fascinating idea that yeah. wouldn't even like wouldn't even exist now because it's like what's yeah. the point of getting engaged if everybody doesn't know about it because because <laughs> right. it's not like it's a legal agreement at all. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, this that's kind of what I meant by like this the, the actual Right. like moment to moment plot beats of this would just not function in today's world but <laughs> yeah. um it's it's still a lot of fun. Like nobody like everyone's lying to each other at all times and like and we the the kind of the fun of it is that we're treated to the dramatic irony of knowing the lies like when lucy first tells uh eleanor like about the engagement like we're just like oh shit (laughs) um and that's like what we get to do a lot throughout this stuff
2: Yeah, Joel, just the fact that like both sisters and their mom are convinced at various points throughout this movie that both Eleanor and Marianne are like secretly engaged without mentioning it to them and they're like we can't force them to talk about it it's just like (laughs) absolutely fucking bananas it's like why was this assumed I mean I guess like maybe the sorry I guess like maybe the fact that you even talk to a man long enough for them to like agree to this or something is like scandalous but like how does anyone get engaged i just i don't know it was really really bonkers
3: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um. i mean yeah, there, yeah there's so many so many moments in the movie where you're like wait a minute so like any man that you meet for like an hour <laughs> it, it's like uh so we're gonna get married now i guess yeah yeah, yeah i guess we're gonna get married this is all great yeah
0: matt people didn't live for that long we don't have we don't have time to waste here
1: I mean, I'm I'm all for it. Let's let's return let's return to Victorian England. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sounds great, man. Sounds yeah. great.
2: And for the record, Colonel Brandon is 35 in the book, which is not great, but at least isn't 50.
0: Yeah, that's so. That's a 19 year difference instead of a 31.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, like like I said, this was much more common back then. Certainly, um, not that that doesn't make it right, but uh, I don't know. I just like it's. Alan Rickman nothing against Alan Rickman. I love him. He looks his age in this movie. He looks I think he was 49. He looks 49. Like that's mm-hmm. what he looks. And so like Kate Winslet looks 20 years old. And so like it's just like wow, this is uh something.
1: <laughs> oh, oh Scott.
0: What? What? <laughs> am am I alone on this that this is kind of weird? No.
1: I I mean, I I don't know. I, I know people who are married who have a similar age difference, so it doesn't bother me that much, I guess. I guess I'm just inured to this.
0: Yeah, no, I look, I, I want to be clear here. Like if someone's listening out there and they have a 30 year difference with your spouse, like I'm not judging you for it. I just like they just looked like in, in it is different from what you think your like typical, like romance story would have, right? Like it would be, we need to get the, the young, attractive people together. I mean, that's kind of what the 2005 pride and prejudice did, right? Like these Mm -hmm. are the the young, super attractive looking people are going to be together. um, Because that's what everyone wants to see when they go to the movie. And like, I just like, if you had told me at the beginning of this movie, ah, yes, Kate Winslet and Alan Rickman will end up together. I'd be like, Oh,
1: but he carries her in out of the rain. He does. So,
2: I think maybe that's why they didn't have any, like, incredibly romantic scenes. And also just, like, their the nature of their relationship is different. I think Mm -hmm, I remember, mm -hmm. like, a sentence in the book about, like, how she grew to love Colonel Brandon, like, as much or more or whatever that she loved Willoughby. It's just, like, different, which is nice. And I think the thing that, like, squicks me out about, like, their age difference is the fact that she's 16, right? Um, And again, that was really, like, standard. But I think if she was, like, 30 and he was, I don't know, math... Like whatever.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Sure. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, whatever happens post story, like they seem like they're going to be happy together. And of it course. it is like, I think, I think a lot of getting older, um, is realizing that this Shakespearean sonnet esque love <laughs> is not, even if, even if you find it, it's not eternal. Like it's not, mm-hmm. this isn't that this isn't the way it's always going to be. And so actually finding a person like like Colonel Brandon, that uh, genuinely cares for you and is willing to do all these things for you, is uh, is
1: better. It the nice thing about movies like this is that they end when everybody gets married, and then you just say, and then they were just exactly it. this happy forever, forever, forever. And I never, and I never questioned that at all. And that
0: makes d- yeah. I do have one last question before we wrap up this this conversation. Did I miss something? Where did the baby come from? Like, I didn't realize that Imelda was supposed to be pregnant that whole time. Did I just miss it?
2: No, I think they just left the baby when they went to London.
0: Oh, okay. It's yeah, yeah. like, suddenly so, there's a baby, and I'm like, wait, whose baby is this? When did they... <laughs> it's baby where in you the house, you know.
2: I think, like, yeah, she isn't the one, like, taking care of her well, baby of course a not. lot, right? Of course and not. And so She's, they, like, yeah. went to London and, like, bye, baby. I hope yeah. you're still alive when I come back or something. I don't know. I,
1: I did like the uh she has an infectious fever i would get the baby out of the house <laughs> and she starts screaming and running
2: it's like good instincts i guess this
0: is such a funny movie i yeah. loved it um, yeah,
2: um i i did want to mention in terms of like thinking about the future um i i spent a lot of time thinking about margaret this time and i'm like okay margaret has some like tomboy you know energies and then part of me was like is margaret like a lesbian but like maybe she's just like supposed to be a little bit younger than she appears as well Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because you can see her go on her own little like mini arc um, in the background of this movie where like she wants to go to London and like she wants to you know do stuff and at one point her mom is like when you don't have anything to say like just talk about the weather and like when Edward shows (laughs) up at the end of the movie she like you know comments about how they've been having really nice weather like Margaret is like I mean, and that like both is exciting and breaks my heart a little bit because like she's not necessarily like Captain Margaret at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, she uses her treehouse to like spy on the romance, not to like you know hit Edward in the knee <laughs> and tell him to be her pirate servant or whatever. Um, yeah, and I just sort of wonder like like I think about this in a lot of Jane Austen novels, like what happens to the other daughters, and like these two or her sisters are like well enough off that she probably like marry someone like relatively well off and like is fine and whatever, but just being like, is Margaret a lesbian? Like what does Margaret want from life?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, it's really interesting because just using the image of the atlases makes it seem like Margaret is the type of girl that like, she really wants to go exploring. She really wants to Mm -hmm. see the world and experience the things the world has to offer. Um, that's why she's obsessed with maps and, and (laughs) this treehouse and exploring and, um, it doesn't seem like there's any room for that in the society. It just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like that is going to be a a lifestyle that is acceptable to anyone around her. Um, and she is, yeah, yeah we kind of see her at just a swept in, like when she first met Edward, you're right. All she cared about f- with him was like the fun stuff he would help her do. And it was this kind of very, you know, childish relationship where like, here's this fun guy who allows me to like, uh, do the things that i want to do and doesn't judge me for them but then by the end of the movie her only concern is for her sister's relationship with this man and she mm-hmm. still likes him but uh, like it, it's it's much more about her sister and so she, you kind of a, a negative read is you you kind of see her sucked into this world that's going to destroy captain margaret um, right. and leave and leave just another another uh lady you know
1: right i i, I, I fine that's so negative i I thought she was just (laughs) growing up she's just growing up she's just growing out of childish things i mean i mean i'm not saying you're wrong i just i didn't i didn't none of that occurred to me i was just like oh she's growing up that's that's nice becoming more mature
0: i mean sure there's definitely there's (laughs) definitely still some of that yeah
1: i mean i I mean i think more like i think functionally she is a character whose purpose is to serve the story and so like show that edward is a caring man by showing that he's willing to kind of play along with her imagination games and like you know do do the thing where he pushes the atlas under the under Mm -hmm. the table with his foot and that's like the first thing he does that makes you like him actually because he's so he's so reserved but then he does something like that you're like oh like so he's actually aware of his surroundings and thoughtful he's just a, a goober (laughs) <laughs> um and and then and like so that's like a good sort of functional piece of storytelling but like that's, no i
0: agree it's his kind of save the margaret moment yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. That it dears you to i'm sure yeah. yeah um no i i understand you think it's negative and i and i and I, I, I like everybody can I have
1: their take it's fine just, no but
0: i mean just, yeah. i just i do think there is you know th- and I, I i haven't read a lot of jane Austen. obviously i haven't seen all these the movies based all this stuff but there is like the women that are successful are the ones that understand what their lane is and they play in their lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's like both these women kind of play in their lane and that's like they, 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 their challenges and the conflict and the stuff they overcome is in this very specific prescribed lane. And um, that's just kind of the way the story is written. And so if if you'd like, like, yeah, what, what would the story have been if like, what if Eleanor just doesn't want to get married? (laughs) Like, like there's no room for that in in this kind of story.
1: Just out of my curiosity, does does Jane Austen write any books that are challenging to the status quo of her time? Like intentionally. So it, and this is, I mean, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a criticism if the answer was no. It's just like, is she, is she trying to be an entertainer or is she trying to be a social critic or both or, um because i i'm so unfamiliar with jane austen frankly
2: yeah i think i would argue that it's both um it's not necessarily more explicit than it is in this book though mm-hmm. um there there's a story where she's writing about um a girl who gets sent off to live with her like rich aunt and uncle and she's like raised with them and she has like 12 siblings and her her family is fairly poor um like they're they're not middle class Um, And, like, the way that they treat her and a lot of that is, like, um, really interesting and more of a commentary, I think. Because she's, like, somewhat treated like a servant, but she's also, like, kind of, like, an adopted child. Like, she's not there to be a servant, but she plays this, like, weird role in the family. Um, And there's more instances with um, people like um, Eliza and... Beth in this movie where you'll meet a couple more people who have like really fallen into lower classes. Um, They're, they're usually about women who are skirting the edge between the middle upper classes Mm -hmm. um, and like are afraid of falling. Um, And I, I think it's, I think it's in there, but like it's the plots of them are like these people fall in love.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, but Mm -hmm. no, I mean, I think she's fitting it in around the edges and she's showing, you know, the 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 uh, collateral damage of of the system, which Mm -hmm. another point that I think Scott said earlier is like she's maybe writing about a time that's a bit prior to her own time, which means perhaps she's criticizing the era that they are that, you know, it would be like us writing novels about people in the 50s, maybe. I, I I don't know this, by the way. I'm just full of shit, actually. But
0: well, I don't. I I think I was kind of a bit off on the timeline because okay. it looks I, like I, she died in 1817. So um, yeah, she was
2: youngish. She was born 1775, I think, because the year before the American Revolution. So mm-hmm. yeah, she she was writing like, or her style is the one right before like Victorian. Um, yeah, nonsensical mess. So the novel, <laughs> yeah.
1: So okay, so I, I'm I'm just so so Sense and Sensibility is basically set contemporaneously with her period so i'm, I'm wrong. yeah that, so, or at yeah.
0: least at least you know when cheap was growing up when yeah. she was around the ages of the characters yeah yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i think i think you know just the idea that like here's a, a woman writing stories about women in the in the 18th century is in itself like pushing against the status quo. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like not that there weren't women writing, but that they just weren't, they weren't published as much and people weren't paying as much attention. Um, and so just, just this idea that she's going to write these stories and center these stories entirely on women, um, I I think is, is challenging in its own way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, like it's kind of ridiculous to me that I didn't read any of these books in high school. Like we (laughs) should have read one Jane Austen novel in high school. Like I, I, there's there's no reason not to. And, and I know some people that did. So I don't know, like if I just rolled the dice and lost on that. But um, I don't know. It seems like someone that should be studied to me.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I feel uh, remiss that I haven't read any of her novels. Mm-hmm. So, so um, Malia, I, I've read Pride and Prejudice.
0: Matt hasn't read any of them. Like, would you recommend he read Pride and Prejudice? Like, And, and what what should my second Jane Austen be?
2: Um. Okay. Pri- yeah. Pride and Prejudice is probably like the quintessential Austen novel. Um. You get five sisters. You get like really ridiculous um, misunderstandings between the characters. Um. All that like class tension. It's all like wonderful. Um. I think that so my second and third favorite Austen novels are kind of polar opposites from each other. Um, It's the first novel she actually wrote and then the last novel she finished, um, which are Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. So Northanger Abbey is Jane Austen, like, kind of writing a gothic novel while also making fun of it. Um, So it's like this girl... And she gets invited to stay in this abbey and she has read a whole bunch of like Gothic novels. And she's like convinced that there's like, s- like literal, you know, skeletons in the closet and like there was a murder and like all these things that happen in like classic Gothic novels. And it's just, it's really funny. Um, especially if you know about like those tropes. Um, and then on the flip side, um, Persuasion is um, an older woman who um I mean, older, she's like 27, but still, um, (laughs) who like was engaged to a guy and broke it off. Um, and it's an interesting one where she was the like higher class than he was, which isn't the norm in the, in an Austin novel. Um, and like encountering him again, years and years later and like dealing with like that regret. Um, Austin is really bad at, um, Romantic scenes, she's amazing with like the like funny, quippy, witty dialogue. And then whenever it's like, and they get together, she pulls back really far. Um, mm-hmm. So persuasion has like the most romantic writing out of any Jane Austen novel, and it's not actually a conversation; it's a letter. Um, but like, she did it once. She finally learned how to express <laughs> like the way people in love talk to each other. Because again, not married, um, possibly never in love. really fascinating yeah Yeah, that is Um,
0: it is yeah man i'm I'm looking at imdb and there are in the past in the past three years and into the future there are four versions of persuasion that are being made (laughs) in 2020 there was a version called modern persuasion there's Mm. a persuasion that came out in 2021 there's one coming out next year and then there's another one that's in pre-production right now which is wild um
1: i found jane austen's coat of arms
0: Ooh. It's
1: it's described as a chevron ghouls between three lions gams erect erased sable armed of the second.
0: Wow. Well, I I think I'm going to read <laughs> Northanger Abbey next cuz that sounds exactly up my <laughs> uh, 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 it's my speed. I it's love that. It's fun.
2: really silly. Yeah. Um yeah. The,
0: the the last thing I'll say about this movie um is I couldn't help but think about while we while I was watching it that in 2021 this is definitely a 10 episode miniseries and not mm-hmm. a movie anymore. Like I just, I don't, I don't if they make, if they make another version of sense and sensibility, it's going to be a TV show. Like I just don't see them making a movie out of it anymore, which is, I mean, I, I don't know if like I'm saying that's a, a bad thing. This is a pretty long movie and um, getting to stretch it out over like six episodes or something would maybe focus on the characters a little more. Not that I thought that was lacking, but um, it's just, no, no more movies <laughs> tv <laughs> tv is everywhere
2: yeah well the british were already doing that with like bbc miniseries for austin yeah um, that's true but it it is kind of nice to sit down and watch like absorb the whole narrative um, yeah because even if the marianne being sick scene and like Eleanor freaking out is a little bit like tonally different from the rest of the movie. It's still, I don't think that would hit as much if you're like, okay, it's been two weeks. Oh yeah. She's dying. Cool.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot. Uh, catch me up on that. Could you blood letter a little bit more for me? <laughs> Have you seen Malia, the 2020 version of Emma with Anna Taylor on Anya Taylor joy?
2: No, I, I really, d- I, yeah,
0: I enjoyed it. I, I did. Um, i mean i love on the list (laughs) i love anya taylor joy and she i think she plays a very good incredible jerk which is perfect (laughs) for emma because this is is perfect Um, she's the worst the costuming and the the colors in that movie are just really really good it's it's very bright it's almost like it doesn't look it's almost like they don't care about reality because like the way emma's dressed it's like it's it's way more colorful than it ever would have been but in like a really fun way um It's very stylistic, and I liked it. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, this looks. I'm. I'm looking at the pictures. It looks great. Mm -hmm.
0: I think did it get nominated for a? I think it got nominated for a a costuming. Yeah, Mm. it didn't win, but uh, makeup and hairstyling and costuming, it got nominated for. Yeah, because it looks so good. Okay, well, that is going to do it for uh, Sense and Sensibility. Good, nice long conversation about that movie. That I think we all really enjoyed thank you so much Malia for bringing it to us I don't think I would have sat down and watched that uh, if not for you
2: (laughs) yeah it is a long one but hopefully um, some of the listeners will give it a try it's really delightful
0: yeah um, it's on uh, I watched it on IMDB TV (laughs) which I didn't (laughs) know was a thing until I went to Amazon and attempted to rent it and they said no 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 renting just watch it on IMDB TV for free with all these ads and let me tell you something about this movie where. an ad jumps in the middle of talking about Fios internet services in the middle of like, will they get together? It's very, very <laughs> off putting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but that is sense and sensibility. Do, 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 do. All right, folks. Um, We've got to talk about something else because last week, the first, uh, is it a teaser trailer or was this a full trailer? I think it was a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm for amazon's the wheel of time dropped um now both of you are are big uh, big wheel heads is yeah. that what is that what you call yourselves i um, hope
3: not <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: so so before we talk about this trailer specifically pretend that uh nobody knows what the hell the wheel of time is and explain briefly what is the wheel of time
1: it's, f- it's fantasy novels
0: wow that you've yeah, I'm. The world, I'm the world's sold gonna now.
2: So it's going to end, and there's magic.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, look. Like, here's the thing. <laughs> it's actually a very standard fantasy, um, uh, story in in its in terms of its outline. Mm-hmm. Um, the things, uh, the things that are remarkable about it are, as follows. Um, it has some really strong characters. It has a lot of really strong women characters before that was a thing that people were doing in everything all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. these books started to come out. When did the first one come out like 1990 or something
3: mm-hmm.
1: um uh really really good character work really great arcs really great satisfying moments i mean that's where sanderson gets it like if you're a sanderson fan and you're like what how is it's like okay well he read all the wheel of time books and he was like <laughs> i want to do that <laughs> um there's uh, there, it's, uh, one person on twitter actually like cracked it for me at one point they were they were like the thing that nobody understands is that the wheel of time is horror fantasy and i was like that's it it is it is disturbing and scary often um which you may maybe you can even pick that up from the trailer because um m- my kids were actually like freaked out because i made them watch the trailer because that's how i am <laughs> and uh it shows the merdrawl shows the trollocs a little bit and it's like oh it's scary like they actually made it scary which is exactly correct because it is scary it's scary in the book um so that's that's where you start the, the way you don't explain the Wheel of Time is do what I did when my, you know, high school crush asked me and then I just like told her everything that happened in the books in detail. <laughs> oh, no, that's oh, that's no. not helpful. Right. Um, so it, it's it's, you know, and the trailer looks really good. I'll, I'll let Malia talk now. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited.
2: Yeah. Um, what is the Wheel of Time? Um, that's fascinating. Um. I So yeah, I read The Wheel of Time because it was 14 slash 15 books, and it felt like a challenge, and I was living with someone who had all of them, and so I didn't start reading it until after it was done, and I got to really binge it, which was fun. Um, I didn't realize how much these characters, like, had hooked me. I It felt to me like it was like, oh, okay, like, here's some tropes, here's some basic fantasy, whatever, whatever. Um, and it wasn't until much later in the series that I realized, like, how attached I was to all these characters um aside from the things Matt mentioned one of the things I love about the wheel of time is the world um there's the like the concept right the wheel of time um so it's like a cyclical universe where um things are going to come back around um but like slightly different and you'll get all these like fun um references in the book to real events that are really fun to suss out um like um they tell stories of like oh god what is it uh basically it's like they're telling stories about like the cold war and like queen elizabeth and like um john glenn um like going to space but it's like when you're just reading it you don't notice then somebody is like hey look at all those like funny things that robert jordan is trying to say like so like the wheel of time is set either like in our far distant future or our far distant past which is a fun
1: yeah Yeah, it was fun. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's great about it. I mean, I I thought the, the one power magic system is, is it, it it doesn't really follow Sanderson's rules, but I I always thought it was an incredibly compelling magic system. And then there's like 18 other things happening. There's like dreaming magic Mm -hmm. and wolf magic and evil city knife magic. Well, knows what I'm talking about? Um, (laughs) I'm probably leaving some out actually there's the, so, um,
2: like omen
1: oh there's, like- yeah there's 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 unexplained luck magic there's weird <laughs> there's weird doorway magic i could keep going um god yeah no it's fun it's really fun look like, like like that's the thing like it's you know the 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 pilot i can kind of already tell that the pilot of the show is gonna be like the beginning of the first book, right? Obviously that's a mm-hmm. obvious thing to say, Matt. Thanks. R- really <laughs> helpful, Matt. Um, no, but like, like it's, it's an intentional, um, uh, homage slash, uh, subversion of the way the Lord of the Rings begins. It's like literally exactly the same way the Lord of the Rings begins, except it mm-hmm. like it's, it's, you know, you know that you're going in a weird different direction because Gandalf is this young woman and the black writer It doesn't have Yeah, I'm not going to spoil things, but like it's it's all it's very it's very clever and it's very fun. And I overdid it as a teenager and then I wasn't able to think about it seriously for many years. But I'm excited about this TV show.
0: Yeah. Okay. so so here's the fascinating thing to me about uh, this series obviously exists uh, in TV show format because of Game of Thrones Mm-hmm. Um, because of the success of Game of Thrones. And and one thing I, I did that was fun, and this was not an original thought, I heard this on a podcast, but one thing that's fun to do is watch the trailer for this show and then watch the very first trailer for Game of Thrones and like just see how much the world has changed in between those two. Because like the the first Game of Thrones trailer is is cut and put together for people that watch that have HBO for the Sopranos. Uh-huh. And so and and I think it, this kind of worked perfectly because game of Thrones was absolutely a series that uh, song of ice and fire, at least was a series that kind of like slow rolled the really high fantasy stuff. Um, mm. The wheel of time from what I remember is not um, the, 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 that stuff starts right away. And, and I think the trailer accurately reflects the idea that, Oh no, we're doing this stuff and we're doing it right away. The thing I'm curious about is whether this connects with an audience. So like obviously folks like you are definitely going to watch this because you love the wheel of time, you're going to be there for all eight episodes of the season, you'll be there for season 2 as well. Um I- I'm interested w- the thing I'm most curious about this thing is does this thing have any hope of reaching a wider audience? And I got to say folks the trailer didn't leave me very a, a lot of confidence in that regard. Like, Not that it's a bad trailer. I don't think it's a bad trailer. But I was trying to put my head in the mindset of a person who doesn't read fantasy novels. Like, the, the casual Game of Thrones watcher who picked up on that show because it became so ubiquitous in culture that they felt like they had to, and then by the time it got really crazy with dragons and magic and shit, they were already invested. Um, is that person going to even give this series a try? And I just don't think so. I don't know.
2: I think that what they're, I think that they are really banking on the fact that game of Thrones was such a phenomenon. And a lot of people like, you know, there were lots of dragons and there was lots of fire and there was just like people on horses and shit. And it's like, okay, people have accepted this as like kind of exciting. Um, Like I like the new like logo or whatever for the show, but it is like that snake that spirals around is very like, the flaming wheel or whatever they had in the, or the crown in the game of Thrones one. Oh yeah. It's Um, designed
0: to remind you of game of Thrones for sure. Yeah.
2: Right. Um, the thing for me that I'm wondering is it seems like they're like, this is game of Thrones, but like women are in charge and like, uh, I don't agree with that interpretation of the wheel of time universe. And I'm curious as to, how setting up that expectation of like this is all about you know like this magic lady and this other lady who and this other lady who pushes her into the water and like oh there might be a redhead oh that guy was there a wolf I don't know um and like that's not what this series is um and like if that's what they're doing as long I, I don't want it to just be like yeah girl power um which it feels like there's a little bit of like yeah girl power. Um, yeah I think that Robert Jordan's universe is a bit more interesting than that I don't think it's nearly as feminist as a lot of people think it is although I think that it was very like it made a lot of really awesome strides in the fantasy field but I'm curious as to like how they're transitioning this story like how are they going to keep on the girl bath train the whole time? Or are they going to kind of go and be like, okay, this is what the wheel of time is about. Um, yeah.
1: That's, that's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll say that probably the, the, you know, the knave gets more of my favorite moments than, you know, Rand does personally. So, so like, sure. yeah. so, so, and, and she's not even a quote unquote protagonist, m- magical protagonist. Right. Um. so, I think, I
2: think they might be changing that. I've heard that it might be instead of three people, it might be five.
1: uh Uh-huh. That's interesting. I mean that 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 sort of could make sense too. Like, yeah, the I mean thing- the, the premise here on Wikipedia
0: says she takes a group of five young people on a journey around the world.
1: Yeah, um, but uh, well, so I, I, I'm thinking two of those are are Nineveh and, and Aguien, but but mm-hmm. in, 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 anyway, so like like the thing the, the thing that's important to me is like. Um, So everybody says The Expanse is really great. I've only really seen the first season. So we did an episode on it. Um, And it seems to me that like the key to making The Expanse work was just like understanding what the dramatically important bits of the novel were and -hmm. translating those. Right. And so like if you understand what are the dramatically important and and like pivotal, interesting, emotional, resonant, powerful parts of the novel and you translate those. Then you can probably leave a lot behind, and the thing about Mm -hmm. Wheel Time is there's a lot of cruft. There's there's, (laughs) There's a lot to
3: leave behind. (laughs) There's a lot
1: to leave behind. So, like, I mean, it would be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how few episodes it takes them to get through the whole first book because it's a long book.
0: (laughs) That's what I'm curious about. Like, the eight eight episodes, season one, season two has been greenlit already, actually, and they're filming it right now, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. Like what their I haven't heard anything about like what their plan is as far as like hey it's like sixteen books right so it's like hey we're gonna do this in eight seasons we're gonna do this in six seasons like I I don't I don't I haven't heard anything about what that is and it's probably because they don't want to lock themselves into anything Mm -hmm. and um, if it's popular they're gonna keep it going as as long as they possibly can but um, I don't know like between this and the Lord of the Rings show coming up Amazon has like bought into big fantasy in a huge way and i'm just curious in like a post game of thrones world if that's like
2: what people want
0: yeah like like game of thrones was an anomaly in a lot of ways like i honestly never ever 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 thought that those books would hit mainstream (laughs) in the way they did because of that show like i just i i never thought that i never thought um, obviously, like in my wildest dreams, I'd be like, "Yeah, I mean, I understand why people love this thing. Like, if you give it a shot, I think you will love it." But I just didn't think that would happen, and so it it really shocked me that everyone I knew was watching the show. and And I don't think I don't think Amazon has the expectation that they're going to like do Game of Thrones numbers. But I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if it's like a, oh, this big fantasy series was popular, so now we have to make all big fantasy series and and see which one will become popular. And I I, I don't know I. I worry when I look at this the trailer that like I'm trying to imagine the type of person that would that that has never read these books that would tune in for this. And I, I I'm having trouble seeing that person. But I guess the the Witcher show on Netflix was pretty popular and mm. that was out there fantasy shit that was looked looked damn near incomprehensible in the trailer. So
1: Yeah, I think that this sort of thing probably has to anchor via word of mouth because there is, I mean, look, like I get what you're saying. Like if you show me a trailer for, you know, Z- uh <laughs> gl- Crystal Globe um, and it's a really cool looking trailer, I'm just never going to watch that. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't care. I don't care about that. And, mm-hmm. and, and just because you did it cool and you had a cool monster in it, I'm not going to watch it. So it has to be good. And then people have to talk about it. I mean I I know the Wheel of Time is popular but it I don't actually know how it stacks up relative to Song of Ice and Fire so I yeah, don't know I how know. many viewers they can count on from that quarter.
0: I don't know. I think uh, casting Rosamund Pike was a great move because yeah. she's mm-hmm. a recognizable very famous actress that uh, people will probably tune in just for her. I mean it's the it's the the Sean Bean effect, right? Like that's how they cast Sean Bean in Game of Thrones cuz he was really the one actor that people recognized. Um, and like, that's such a great piece of casting, too, because you're like, oh, yeah, Lord of the Rings guy. You yeah. know, it's just like <laughs> mentally, mentally connects those things in your head right away. Right. Um, that's true. Roseman Pike is pretty, pretty loved as an actress. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah. I think she'll definitely bring some people to it. And,
1: and just like, if I had my wish list of characters of like casting for the loop of time, I'm pretty sure I would have put her as a candidate for the character that she's playing. So.
0: Yeah, especially when I look down the list of the other actors, and I think they they've mostly kept to unknowns, which uh, partially for uh, budgetary reasons, and partially because I think that actually helps the show. I mean, that's mm-hmm. again what Game of Thrones did. Um, we had never heard of these people. Yeah, a- at that point, right?
1: It actually seems like the car- the actors are like young, which yeah. is you know shocking, right? You're like, wait, <laughs> they're they're supposed to be playing teenagers, and they actually look kind of like they could pass as teenagers that's no way it's amazing no way
2: yeah i think though that like so i actually um i've read the whole song of ice and fire that is currently available but um i actually stopped watching game of thrones um after season four i watched the first five minutes of season five and i like was like i can't do this and i turned it off good call um yeah um i just like couldn't deal with the way they were treating a lot of the women basically is like when you come, when you dilute it into the core being. Um, and I think that, so like, I'm really nervous about this show. I think the thing is that it seems like Rafe Judkins, the showrunner is like really, really a fan. Um, you were talking about not being sure how long um, this is like pegged to go out for or whatever. And like, from what I've seen, the first season is going to incorporate parts of books 1, 2 and 3 but not all of book 1 um and that is really exciting to me i think that like if you take the characters and the world of the wheel of time and you're like okay what in this plot could be moved around like what doesn't make sense like there are characters that are like pretty important who show up in the first book who aren't cast yet and it's like yeah you can actually kind of skip that and introduce them later Um, like the way that the titles are like, it seems to me like episode five has to be like things from book two, but like, why does that make sense? And it's just like, um, I am really excited to see someone like take the characters and be like, okay, you love these people. You love this world. We're going to give you this world, but like, um, I mean, talking about like adaptations, right? Like, this isn't going to be BBC Pride and Prejudice, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's good because
0: yeah. they'll hopefully make some adaptive calls. Yeah. Yes.
2: Um, and also just like the aesthetic and like Egwene with like the paint water, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But also, you look so cool yeah, it's, and it's, just
1: yeah, because yeah, I was like, I don't think anything like this happens in the books, but I know exactly what you're doing here. Like, this <laughs> mm-hmm. is. This is this is turning something that is conceptual into something visual, which is like, oh, that's how you should do. That's how you're going to have to do all this one power stuff, because it's not mm-hmm. going to you're not going to be able to, to visually show all all the shit that's happening in their heads when they're talking about magic. In fact, they're probably going to avoid doing that in general, because I mean, a big part of it is basically magic school. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're probably going to just skip a, a lot of, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you're pointing out like the the first three books, like the, the end, the end of the first book, the climax of the first book actually like makes no sense. And ha- and is <laughs> uh, sort of had to be retconned because it was like, he didn't really know if he was going to get to write more than one of these. So, so the end sort of serves as what could be like a climax to the series. And then he's like, actually that was a red herring. It didn't actually do. <laughs> that's not what actually happened. Um, so they'll probably just not bother with any of that. Right.
2: Yeah. We'll I see. I, I could see them having like certain aspects of it, but not in the same like plot way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see what someone can do with taking. Yeah. Again, the characters and the world and the conceit and being like, okay, the world's going to end here are our characters. What can we do to make this like actually work for a TV audience (laughs) and not a man who takes, um, 50 words to describe like one dress
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i mean uh, for for y'all's sake especially i I hope that this is successful and gets to go as long as it wants to um Mm -hmm. i i I don't know like i i I feel like my ability to predict any of this is so off that i don't want to actually make any kind of prediction but but uh i do think it's interesting that like like you said i think game of thrones being an hbo show had like a certain level of uh, necessary sex and violence to it that like it, it, HBO has changed since Game of Thrones first came out. But like that is just like there was definitely an, an expectation that there was going to be lots of nudity and lots of violence in HBO shows. That's what HBO shows did. I still remember. I don't know. I don't remember if the first this Stargate SG one was HBO or, or, or Showtime. I don't remember. But I just I still remember the first episode of SG one having a naked woman in it because it was on one of these movie channels. And so that's, what we had to do. And then like, that's the only episode that has that in it. Cause then they <laughs> w- were like, Oh no, we want to do something else. Actually. We don't want to do this. Um, and I think, I wonder, you know, being on Amazon, if this is not beholden to that same kind of thing. And obviously, as I said, HBO has changed. So, are they going to need to, are they, do they feel the need to like play up the sex and violence to, to 11? Um, because that's the expectation. I, probably not. I mean, I think yeah. I, I have, like I said, I've read, you know, a few of these books. I remember basically nothing about them, but I, they're, they're much less, uh, uh horny than George R. R. Martin's books yeah. are. <laughs> or, the,
1: or at least there's a lot more cutting to black. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, the, the, the visual. The visual image of of Song of Ice and Fire is like a, a beautiful ruby studded breastplate that's like spackled with shit and mud and blood, mm-hmm. um, whereas the visual touchstone for Wheel of Time is is like beautiful soaring minarets of of, of of a city made of marble and you know colors and and just brightness, which is what's coming across in the trailer. Um, mm-hmm uh
2: tarvalon looks so fucking good (laughs) yeah
1: right everything visual like that's one thing i'll just say like i don't really care if it's like a good show (laughs) 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 like i just want to see like it's just going to be so pretty like you can just tell from the trailer that's going to be really pretty i just really like what they're doing with the aesthetic
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well cool well maybe we will chat more about this show uh when it comes out in November. November Woo. 19th, the first 3 episodes are coming out.
2: Okay, wait. I wanted to ask Scott, why are they doing that? <laughs> Do you know?
0: The, Is that releasing the first 3 at once?
2: Yeah. I've heard of 2. I've heard of all of it. I've never heard of
0: 3. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's a the Amazon's kind of I think that's what Amazon typically does. So hmm. uh, they keep changing so everyone's like experimenting and because they have such good data mining they can like try something new with each show and then like see what the viewership numbers look like but hmm. i think for a while that, that this was hulu strategy where they would do three at once and then one a week um and i know amazon has been uh messing with that and some do two every week they drop two episodes every it's everyone's like trying new things. So I think the idea is you binge the first three to get you hooked. And then, um, and then you watch you, then you wait week to week. So they kind of, they're trying to get best of both worlds with that. Cool. I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, maybe in in this case, sometimes just like the way the episodes are structured, like you don't want to have to wait a week between like a cliffhanger or something or like they, they, someone viewing it said no we need the resolution of this thing that's brought up in episode two but resolved in episode three we need this to be there right away or people are just going to get frustrated and bounce off so i don't know it's like the crazy thing about the streaming services is they are collecting every single piece of data that exists about your viewing habits they know when you pause they know when you turn it off um, they know how long before you come back to it they know how much of the credits you watch they know Uh, which episodes if an episode is 42 minutes or an episode is 37 minutes which you are more likely to get to the end of they they know and they collate and they 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 track all of this stuff and it's insane it's just insane so whatever your viewing habits are with with a wheel of time amazon (laughs) will know about it
1: yeah i mean it seems to me like uh three episodes is like a good enough chunk that like you binge you binge you binge and then you're like oh oh where's the rest and -hmm. then that just increases the odds you're going to come back um yeah yeah
2: and like talk about it to other people and keep the conversation i guess yeah
0: yeah yeah Yeah. all right well that is wheel of time those three episodes are premiering on the 19th of november so a couple months away and then uh the rest of this season is going to run through up till i think the final episode drops on christmas eve so Mm -hmm. so there you go Merry Christmas Yay. everyone and and season two is filming right now so who knows when that's going to come out and then I think next year is when the 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 Lord of the Rings show comes out so it's a very good time to be Matt Freeman
1: it is I mean <laughs> shit there's like Dune coming out there's 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 Hot Topic Batman's coming out soon that's gonna be fun
0: uh-huh
1: um, the Matrix is back the Matrix is back I, I showed my kids the the trailers without prefacing like what it was and of course they recognized what it was and that was very satisfying
2: <laughs> nice
0: okay matt let's wrap this episode up uh, with uh, another movie that just came out this is the newest film in the marvel cinematic universe shang chi i don't think malia and i have seen this movie yet so uh talk to me about this movie matt was it was it good
1: it was really fun um <laughs> it was way way more fun than i guess i expected like so here's the thing. I'm going to fully avoid spoilers as fully as possible, but but I'll just say like this is a martial arts action movie. It is doing the martial arts action movie things. It is it is making sure that you get adequate density of awesome kung fu um uh, well choreographed fights, well executed uh generally well shot there's one there's one sequence in the movie where it's just like i just can't see what the hell's happening but that's that's fine everything else is be- beautiful um just very very aesthetic i mean i think i think a lot of people have have criticized a lot of the marvel movies for just like being like a muddy disaster uh, mm-hmm. visually which they probably have a point but like this this movie <laughs> seems very crisp visually very very beautiful um uh just from from a very different sort of aesthetic sensibility than the others um uh it it's fast paced it's much funnier than your average marvel movie uh it has aquafina in a in a central role and she is absolutely hilarious um my favorite part was when uh my daughter is like is that it sounds like sisu um, cuz she's sisu the dragon um so that's just fun. every everyone loves Aquafina right now and including yeah. me she's uh, having a hell
0: of a year that's for sure yeah
1: I, I actually thought that the plot was more like heartfelt and and uh, touching than probably like 80 or 90 percent of the Marvel movies like and I'm saying all this as a Marvel fan too you know mm-hmm. um so I really I really did enjoy it uh I recommend it if you especially if you're a Marvel fan. Um, and it also, just like if you're a martial arts fan, because they really did a good job with, with that part. Oh, yes. Last, last comment. Uh, the Ten Rings pa- power is the coolest thing ever. Um, I think the Iron Man suit is the only other uh, Marvel superhero power that I think is roughly as cool as the Ten Rings and the way they execute the Ten Rings in the film. Um, I mean, that may not even make any sense because but like when you see it, you're just like, <laughs> I wish that I was nine years old so I could run around the playground and pretend that I have the 10 rings and I might just do it anyway, even though I'm 35.
0: <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious and I guess try to answer this as best you can without spoiling it. But I think the biggest problem I have with these kind of one off Marvel movies um, is that they tell this really interesting, grounded, great personal story in the first two thirds and then the third act is the big CGI explosion fest I mean this is kind of my exact problem with Black Widow it was honestly a problem with Black Panther as well is this a is this a thing that happens in this movie
1: Um, there is a CGI explosion fest in the third act (laughs) Um, and but I think that it kept things centered where they where they needed to be mostly I'm not gonna say that it's like perfect like it definitely falls into the marvel like like if that's a thing that bugs you it's like yeah okay that that's in there um mm-hmm. but it doesn't neglect uh the heart of the film when it goes there
0: cool yeah i mean that's that's my biggest concern is like i think that stuff works fine in in the movies that I, that I enjoyed and it works less fine in movies where it feels like we've just shifted to a completely different movie now.
1: Um, I think also it's just, it's just so much more visually cool and, and, and gorgeous that like the fact that it's a CGI uh, monster fight, it's like, yeah, but it, but it this, this one's actually really good. <laughs> so that makes a difference.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, I I'm excited to check this movie out. I think, you know, for those of you listening at home that might not know this, like when Matt likes a martial arts movie, you usually want to pay attention because I think you're you're fairly particular with your martial arts stuff.
1: Yeah, Uh, I am pretty picky about uh, uh, martial arts movies and this mm -hmm. one um, like almost immediately I I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to like this movie um, from like within the first 10 minutes. Like, again, I said it's pretty well paced. So
0: great. Cool. Yeah. Well, that is Shang Chi uh, playing only in theaters right now, which is why I have yet to see it because it's it's hard for me to get to the theaters. This is like the first time this has happened, honestly. That that I have not seen a Marvel movie, you know, within the first week it came out. I'm not. I'm honestly not sure when I'm going to get to go see this movie. So,
1: yeah, right. I think it'll be on the streaming in like a month or so. Is what probably I, is what I yeah. read.
0: So. I'm really at a, a a crossroads here, Matt, where. I know Dune is going to be available on HBO Max the same day it's released. I really want to go see it in the theater. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to wait. To like actually get to go see it in the theater because it's just going to be right there and I'm just going to want to click the button. So I don't know what I'm going to do.
1: Well, you know, you're just going to have to search your, your soul and, <laughs> and come to some some kind of answer. Um,
0: Watch it twice. I don't have time for that. Watch a movie <laughs> two times.
1: I don't know how long it is, but I'm just gonna guess that it's a very long movie. Very
0: I'm long sure. it. It's very long, and only half of the book. So yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah. Hopefully, they get to make that other half. Who knows? Who knows? Um, that I mean, that's a that's a, a weird thing. Like Shang Chi did very well this weekend. Actually, they're calling it a a box office success. Yeah. Um, it still earned about half the money that a Marvel movie typically earns opening weekend, but in the year 2021 that's fine yeah
1: apparently it, it broke the labor day opening weekend record
0: i don't understand how that's possible
1: but people yes, just i must, read that too people just must never release movies on labor day <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i mean it made it made over 100 million dollars in, in the u.s right so like it's not it's not
0: it's not quite it made uh, just under okay
1: well close to it that.
0: made it made uh, $75 million, uh, at its opening weekend. Um, it's right at 94 domestically right now, but uh, okay. Maybe I was so, thinking I mean,
1: about the international number, but anyway, yeah,
0: the inter- internationally it's at 150 right now, yeah. which is, I mean, it's great. I'm I'm happy for this movie. I'm glad it's doing well. I think it's interesting that like, I don't think, let me look it up. I'm curious about black widow because it's like, this is, so <laughs> this is what's hilarious, Matt. Shang-Chi is being touted as an incredible success opening 75 million Uh black widow everyone was like oh this is like it was a failure doesn't look good that opened at 80 yeah (laughs) so like i think it's so weird how we stack these things i think the difference Uh. here is they were doing like estimates of shang chi and it beat the weekend estimate so it did Uh better than they thought it was and so therefore the narrative is oh huge smash hit um where poor black widow uh, does more but not did not exceed estimates so
1: yeah well that's that's interesting i, I think pe- people probably thought like ah, oh, they're you know wrapping up black widow's story people are going to want to see this and shang chi who knows what, nobody even knows who that is yeah um, i mean and, yeah it,
0: it is true this is a, a character that kind of your casual marvel viewer doesn't know anything about i say that as the casual marvel viewer that knew nothing about this character <laughs> um but yeah I, I i'm looking forward to seeing it it's good to see that i know this is like just just representation wise. This is a, a very important movie for a lot of people. And so I'm glad to see it's doing well. I'm glad to see it's good. That's that's important. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I'll, look forward to watching it.
1: I'll tell you, my kids all wanted to watch it again when we got home. And and uh, and so did I actually. And I had to be like, I'm sorry, kids. For the first time in a long time, <laughs> we can't just put it on the TV. Um,
0: wild. Yeah, wild. Right. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it for us this week on this extra long episode. If you have any opinions on Sense and Sensibility, on The Wheel of Time, or on Shang-Chi, please reach out to us and let us know. You can uh, can contact us at doofmedia at gmail.com, at our Twitter account at doofmedia, on our subreddit, that's r slash doofmedia, or on our Instagram, which is also at doofmedia.
1: Uh, that's right. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, we encourage you to do so and ensure you never miss an episode. You can find the Doofcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found.
0: And you can find this in all of our shows including Pale in Comparison Malia show over at our website doofmedia.com. Malia, um if if someone's listening to this and they haven't checked out Pale in Comparison yet, what's what's that about?
2: <laughs> so, Pale in Comparison is um tragically not actually about pale which is one of wild Bo- or wild Bo's current web serial i am assuming that your audience has mostly heard about worm and wild Boat and all of that stuff through y'all um it's a podcast where i am the scott and my sister is the Matt. if you're thinking of the we've got worm um divide where um i am reading the story packed for the first time and my sister gets to not spoil anything and lead me through it um but the thing is i have read pale which is another story in the same universe so i can like make a bunch of guesses about what's going on based on like the world building um but it's not a sequel so like not i don't just know what the story is which has been really really fun so far um we also have a spin-off podcast covering pale called our mom critiques Wildbow. um (laughs) my mom has recently been um described as the funniest doof host (sighs) That's um, true. That's true. And um, we're very lucky that we could get her on the show. She's a hot commodity. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> so um, that one's also really fun. We've been trying to poach your mom, but uh, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. having it.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's a busy woman.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both those shows are really great.
0: Um, I have not read Pale, so I like listen very carefully to your <laughs> podcast. But uh, one day I will listen to. I will read Pale, and then I can listen to it. Not as concerned, but uh
2: Yay.
0: some great shows and you can find those on on doofmedia.com or on any any of your podcatcher as well. Um they're they're available everywhere. Uh, uh thank you so much, Malia, for being on this episode. This was a lot of fun. Uh, again, you know, you brought us a movie that we would not have seen or watched normally. So I, I love these episodes where I can just kind of jump in to something I would not have seen and then have a great conversation about it. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thanks for letting me bully you into um watching this movie and using my sister's pregnancy and future maternity <laughs> leave as an excuse to do so. Um it's really, really refreshing being able to like respond to y'all and ha- like when you're talking about a movie and have you answer back. So it's nice.
0: <laughs> Instead of just screaming into the void.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry everyone.
2: <laughs> yeah, just start a podcast and um, you know, maybe you can come on the show too. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, of course if you want to support this show and pale in comparison and all of our shows on the doof network you can become a patron of doof media you can head on over to patreon.com slash doof media and pledge at any of the available levels there there's a bunch of fun stuff there's bonus episodes um there's getting to vote in fan art contests and uh and short fiction contests like the do the king thing short fiction contest vote that is happening right now and wraps up this week um so if you are a patron and haven't participated in that yet what are you doing yeah but if you're not, uh, there's still time. There's please, still time.
1: for God's sake, go vote in the, <laughs> yeah, please, go vote in the please. Do the, thing, the King Thing contest. Yes, um, yes. Uh, also, please consider rating and reviewing the Doofcast on Apple Podcasts because each review does help us get more exposure and introduces new people to the content that we make here.
0: Yeah, you should. If you're listening to a podcast, you should go review them all because that really does help those people. If you like those people, review them, give them five stars um and it'll help them and do the same for us
1: yeah <laughs> we, we being one of that <laughs> yes thing.
0: we being yeah, <laughs> presumably in that list uh, <laughs> all right that is going to do it for us this week next week will be another one of our council of doof episodes uh the vote on that is still ongoing so we don't have a title for you folks just yet but make sure you follow us on instagram and twitter uh, if you want to see uh, what we will be covering next week either way it's going to be a good time but uh, we'll see you all next week
3: And you'll do what I say, what? What? my name is Doof and you'll do what I say what?